1: Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. I'm David Partain, and I am joined with my co-host, Laura Gregg. Hello, Laura. Hello, David. How are you? I'm good. Beautiful day in Chicago, maybe? At oh, least no not rain. where I sit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it is Chicago in May. Well, anyway, on today's episode, we're going to focus on a recent FlexShared study, the new rules of growing wallet share a behavioral study on the emotions driving client decisions. Laura will share some high-level findings about what really drives whether your clients will give you more of their money to manage. And we're excited to welcome back Beverly Flaxington. For longtime listeners of the podcast, you may remember that she joined us in June of 2020. And oh my, how does that seem like so long ago to provide tips on building relationships in a virtual environment and strategies for returning to the office? Holy cow, little do we know at that time just how long it might be for many of us to actually find our way back to the office. And today, we'll ask Bev to weigh in on the research and to provide some additional insights and strategies for advisors to consider as they seek to gather more assets from existing clients. Bev is an accomplished professional. She is known as the human behavior coach, a three-time best-selling and gold award-winning author, an investment industry professional, an international speaker, an accomplished consultant a certified hypnotherapist, a personal and career coach, college professor, corporate trainer, facilitator, behavioral expert, entrepreneur, and business development expert. And oh, by the way, she parted the Red Sea. I'm just kidding. She is also founder of The Collaborative, a firm that helps advisors grow their businesses with human behavior-based training, coaching, and marketing services. Bev, I'm exhausted, but welcome back to the Flexible Advisor Podcast.
2: Thank you so much, David. I I tend to get worn out listening to it.
1: As long as the Red Sea part is not right, you're, 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 you're doing fine. Well, Bev, as we have talked before the show started, our goal today is to help advisors better understand the emotions that factor into when or if your client will give you more money to manage. We'll talk about the complexity of building trust and why it can be very different from one client to another based on what we have found are some distinct personas. We also want to equip you with some strategies for actions that you can take to increase your chances of breaking through with your clients, building trust, and a larger share of their wallet. So, Laura, let's start here. How about you kick things off today and tell our listeners about the research you and I have been working on, why, and how we even conducted it, and what are some of the top-line findings that are important for advisors to understand?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we decided to do this research, as you know, David, It's it's been about two years, but mm-hmm. um, based on some some things that one of our colleagues was hearing from firms he was working with, they were really struggling struggling with asset aggregation. And we all know that to grow your business, it's much easier and more efficient, right? If you can do that with existing clients rather than having to always be sourcing new clients. So we, we talked a lot about it with the research look like. And we entered into it with our own hypothesis. Um, Our hypothesis was that it might be more behavioral than anything else, but we wanted to test that. And so we hired a team of social scientists that trained at the University of Chicago, and we worked with them to field two surveys. One was a qualitative survey where they spent 60 minutes to sometimes in excess of two hours talking with uh, high net worth investors across the net worth spectrum and across the country. They gave us their findings from all of those conversations. And then we decided to test it with a quantitative survey that went out to more than 200 uh, high net worth investors. And so what we wanted to do is really dig deep on what drives uh the decision to allocate um, assets to and among advisors, what drives people to choose to allocate more assets to their advisors or to not do that. Um, We also wanted to understand how clients reacted when advisors asked them for more money to manage. So a few high-level key learnings. One, most of the decision to allocate money had been determined before those clients even took their first meeting with the advisors. They came to advisors with deep-seated emotions uh, that are a play and reveal themselves really in what we found to be five unique personas. And you know, it's really important for advisors to understand the nuances of building trust. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And what we did learn is that wallet share, not surprisingly, follows trust. Uh, but it follows it differently based on each persona. Uh, Many clients will allow their advisors to believe they're managing all of their assets when, in fact, they have held away assets that either they uh, or other advisors are managing. And so three of the five personas were very guarded about sharing that information. And in my day-to-day work, I find that most advisors think that they know all of the money that is in play. And finally, the way in which advisors ask for more money to manage may be the thing that's keeping them from getting that money from their clients.
1: All right. So I want to bring Bevin here and ask a couple of questions. First off, I'm wondering if any of the things Laura just mentioned actually surprised you. And then from your expertise, behavioral standpoint, how difficult or easy is it for an advisor to Actually, move a client's frame of mind?
2: Generally, I find the research very interesting. Um, and as you talked about in the intro, David, we do a lot around behavioral, and certainly for the last couple of decades on emotional intelligence. And so I'd really like to hear a little bit more about the persona types that you uncovered in this research. And then let's talk a little bit more about how this plays out with advisors.
1: Oh, great. The research revealed five distinct persona types, and each is driven by different emotions. Laura, why don't you take the first three?
3: Sure. And, and Bev, uh, don't uh, feel bad about interrupting me, but um, I'll, I'll kick it off with our first persona, um, the protector. Uh, the protector is uh, a very skeptical investor. They're very afraid of losing their shirt. Uh, in many cases, these people are do-it-yourself investors. And that's um, not because they have a passion for investing or, quite frankly, any expertise in it, but it's because the protector is so terribly afraid of losing money that they're afraid to give it to somebody. They so often have it on the sidelines or in safety vehicles such as cash. And um, if they're, you know, to say they're not trusting is is underplaying it. They're just darn right skeptical of the industry, and unfortunately, oftentimes of the advisors that they are working with. Uh, many understand intuitively that they absolutely need professional money management, but they to start that relationship, they'll oftentimes invest the bare minimum, almost to the penny, because they don't trust that their advisor is going to have their best interests in mind. But you can absolutely develop trust and get a larger share of their wallet. So in our second persona is the competitor. You're going to know the competitor. These are the people that come to you and they'll tell you how much they expect you to outperform the benchmark. They are hyper-focused on winning the game. They see investing as a game. And they're so often focused on the short term. They'll they'll want to get all of the conversations to be around What have you done for me last quarter or the last year? They also like to pit advisors against one another to see them compete. Oftentimes, they'll even manage a a sleeve of their own portfolio because they think that they can do just as well as you, if not better. And our third persona is who we call the collector. Uh, As the name suggests, they have collected advisors over the course of their life Sometimes it's by uh, strategy. Oftentimes it's just by happenstance. They get this group of advisors, and uh, they they like having the different perspectives. And quite frankly, they like the job of quarterbacking multiple money managers. They're also terribly afraid of having all their eggs in one basket. They might say those words exactly to you. And so their desire for diversification goes beyond the investment portfolio to the advisors themselves. Uh, But what the collector really needs is more simplicity in their financial life. Uh, Tax time is a burden for them. Um, But while they need the simplicity and sometimes they realize that they need it, they're unlikely to ever consolidate all of their assets with one advisor. But you can get them to call their assets if you can win over their trust and develop a better relationship with them.
1: Well, a lot of these, Laura, sound like a movie, The Collector. Well, mine is no different. The two that uh, I want to talk about is The Verifier. And it's typically, they are more investment savvy and actually very transparent. But they're looking for a long-term relationship and want to test the waters, however, before giving an advisor their whole portfolio to manage. They also judge the client experience and are looking for their wealth managers to provide a holistic and even a memorable client experience. And the last persona is the simplifier. That would be me, the easy button. They view all assets as one lump sum. And finally, they want someone that they actually like. So getting a thumbs up on Facebook from them is probably means a lot.
2: You know, it's interesting as I'm listening to both of you going through the different personas, I was thinking about the protector and the competitor as a start. Uh, We oftentimes will talk with advisors about what we call TDOs, the difficult ones. And what I try to get them to understand is that underneath most difficult behavior is fear. And Laura, you touched Mm. on this, you know, there's this emotional resistance that investors will have. And I think both of those, they play out in different ways, uh, definitely are expressing some of that fear. And then the ones, David, that you moved into really start to think about the relationship and that idea of memorable client experience. And so it's so much more than just offering the best performance the the best planning the best everybody's got the best what are you doing to give that client an experience that they want to pick up the phone and talk to you they excited when you call them and they want to talk to you i think that (laughs) that's the key right otherwise it's table stakes yeah
3: you know bev one of the things that we uh found is that even the competitor who portrays themselves as being the cold-blooded uh, business person um, and they they tend to talk about their relationship with their advisor as being purely transactional but we found is through these conversations is while they say that they also, bring up that they're upset with their advisor because their advisor isn't trying to develop a relationship with them. And why isn't the advisor calling me more often? And so it, it is kind of this, this strange thing, how they talk about themselves, but yet they, they do seem to want that relationship. What do you see when you're, you know, working with all of the advisors that that you help. Are, are they struggling with the, is it, do you want alpha or do you want a relationship? It's funny. There's a quote that I like to use. It's
2: attributed to an international mediator. He's traveled all over the world trying to get people to get along and understand each other. Obviously a, a challenge that will last him his career. But he talks about um, that people are 98% emotional and 2% rational. And I think you've keyed on something so important there. Even say the compassion. Editor who says, Give me the numbers and it's transactional. People are operating from a foundational place of emotion and it's either fear that's driving it. You know, it's some sort of expectation. We're moving towards something that we want, or we're moving away from something that we don't like. But I I really like the way that you've uh, identified the different categories. And I think the next thing to think about is what are those emotional undertones that go along with this? But you're absolutely right that ultimately every single one of these personas will react to that relationship and to somebody who's focused on them, who understands them, and who meets them where they are. That's the key thing here, I think, for advisors to consider.
3: So, um, talking about relationships, one of the questions that I get asked a lot when I'm presenting this is okay, we understand the personas. You've told, you've told us about some emotions that's driving the behavior, that sorts in those personas. Get it, it makes sense. But what about the married? I know, Bev, you and I have talked in the past and uh, about how opposites attract. So in your work around the dynamics of couples, I'm wondering how you would think of tackling this if you've got a husband and wife uh, with two different personas And you're the advisor that has to serve them both.
2: The likelihood that you're going to have two different personas is probably pretty high. There actually is, believe it or not, research, not that we need it, but that shows that in our work lives, we're drawn to people who are like this. In our personal lives, we actually do seek out somebody um, who's opposite from us. The key to it is actually to understanding and trying to identify who do I have in front of me. So, I've got one that's a verifier and I've got one that's a protector. What's really important then is that when you're delivering the information or you're asking those good open-ended questions as the advisor, or you're trying to put together a picture to help them see what it is you're going to do for them, You want to be able to address each of those people, each of the people in that partnership a little bit differently. So if I'm somebody who is the verifier and I'm very skeptical and I'm not intuitively needed, you need to address my skepticism, not confront it, not overcome my objection, but try to understand it. But then if I'm married or my partner is the verifier and it's more about that holistic experience, then when you're talking to that person, share a little bit about how we serve clients in a more holistic way. So It can be done. It's really important, though, not to treat them as one and separate them out and actually deliver whatever it is that you're delivering or the questions you're asking or the way that you're treating them with respect to who they are. And you can actually do it by making eye contact, by using their name when you're speaking to them as a follow-up to say, Laura had requested this information, David, you requested this information. It's it's actually not all that difficult to do, but you've got to be thoughtful about it. And you have to make sure that you are continuing to acknowledge their differences. Not, not to say they're different, but when you're providing information, acknowledge that each one might need something that's a little different from the other.
1: Wow. That's really good advice. Huh? Well, so, all right. Everyone is busy these days and, you know, through the years I've heard put a lot of focus on the 80, 20 role, which of course is focusing 80% of your efforts on the top 20% of your client base And of of course, I see a lot of merit in that, but I also see a challenge based on our findings. So if clients truly are not being transparent with their advisors about all the money they have in play, then I worry that an advisor might be giving short shrift to clients that may have more assets to give. So Bev, how best should advisors navigate this tricky situation?
2: It's funny, David, as I was listening to you talk, Um, I was thinking about um, a a real-world example that we had with an advisor firm where – so many times, you know, if we think about how we're emotional, we're drawn to people who are like us, advisors are no different. So, if I have somebody who's giving me assets and they're engaging with me, you know, I may put my focus there to your 80 20 point. Um, but we had an advisor who was trying to bring a next generation advisor along. Um, and she was a little bit challenged with how do I get this person engaged? We have a lot of large clients. And anyway, she decided to take some of the smaller clients who hadn't been given that much attention, assumed a million-dollar client, a $2 million client, not much else there. And so they had been put in that, you know, A, B, C, they were in the C list. So she tasked the younger advisor with reaching out and just to get practice, talking with them, what's happening in your life. Well, lo and behold, one of these small in the scheme of things advisors, had actually come into an inheritance, a significant inheritance, tens of millions of dollars, and was ready to go to a different advisor because said, you folks don't care about me. I don't hear anything from you. I don't even know what's going on. Now, this younger advisor ended up being able to bring that business into the firm and they started a whole initiative to reach out to these to these clients that hadn't been talked to in a long time. Is there always tens of millions of dollars hiding with your smaller clients? Likely not, but could there be some? And might you want to pay attention to those relationships anyway? Definitely was an eye-opening experience for me in working with them.
3: That is amazing. And, you know, I, I, I think, like that just flows through on a whole lot of different levels just the again making sure your clients feel that they're heard and remembered and that you're thinking of them i mean i i would imagine that also impacts referrals that they may or may not give based on how they how much they feel you love them or not as well as more assets
2: <laughs> and you know it's funny i i oftentimes when we talk about the topic of referrals I will make an analogy to one time when I had the carpets cleaned in my house and the gentleman did a very nice job. I did compliment him and he handed me this form to fill out with three of my friends' names <laughs> and phone numbers. Um, if I if I did such a good job, don't you want me to tell your friends about it? I was mortified because, of course, all I have is very busy uh, friends who are raising families and working. And so I think sometimes, unfortunately, in our business. This is what we're telling advisors, right? Just ask, just ask. I need to grow my business. I want to expand the relationship. And it's so much more about what does the client want? And I think that's what your research is so excellent at highlighting. How do I get through to this person with their persona, with what they care about, and frame it so that it's beneficial to them, not beneficial to me as the advisor?
3: So that is a great segue, of <laughs> because uh, I wanted to bring up uh, this asking thing, asking for more money. And, you know, I think that this is really one of the most critical findings of our research uh, is how clients react or how different personas react when you ask them for more money to manage. And almost universally, except with the simplifier, people don't want to be asked to give you more money. Uh, many people said it's okay if they bring it up annually. I get it. They've got a business. They want to grow it. But asking any more often than that was met with strongly adverse feelings. In fact, you know, some of the people we spoke to said that the more that their advisor asked them for money to manage, the less likely they are to give it. Um, and for for a person who has been trained to sell, that just goes against everything we've ever been taught. Always be closing. ask for the next meeting, whatever it is. You're supposed to be out there. Tell them exactly what you want them to do. Uh, but but this is not what they want to hear. So, you know, I'm curious what you think about that and how advisors can do a better job of demonstrating, the benefit that they'll provide if given the chance to manage more assets rather than just asking straight up for the assets.
2: There's a few things in what uh, you're talking about, Laura, that I would just point out. One is I think advisors do make the mistake of, because they're familiar with what they've been able to do for the client. They know what their firm can do. Uh, they're living it every day. They think that the client does too. So we have something we talk about. We call it retail and, and resell with just the idea that sometimes you have to remind your client, uh, remember when you came to me and you do it conversationally, you don't do it as a salesperson. Uh, but remember when you came to me and you were struggling with um, how to you know, save for retirement along with putting the three kids through college. and. We We did this together. And, you know, I'd love to be able to help other people uh, in your universe who may be struggling with the same sort of thing. So there is a need sometimes to remind somebody what you're able to do, what you've done. Um, I've been shocked at some of the advisors I work with where their clients don't know all of what the firm is capable of doing. Uh, so they haven't really brought that holistic experience. They've become focused on something. So again, just making sure that you're an educator. Um, and the last thing is keeping that focus on this isn't about, you know, what other assets do you have for me? How can we grow our business? This is about who do you care about and how can I be of help to somebody that you care about. Um, and that can also be done well through storytelling, you know, getting uh, examples of how you've helped someone, how you've been able to move them perhaps from being skeptical to being a believer. So it really takes some thought around how can you shift someone's thinking. Without pushing them, I, I mean, we we were doing a, a training not that long ago, and an advisor said. I was so afraid that you were going to teach us how to be pushy and salesy. And and I said, but but all the research on sales tells us that nobody succeeds by doing that. So the last thing you want to do in a relationship (laughs) business is try to push people. You want to try to be relational and figure out different ways that you can uh, present what you do and how you can help someone they care about.
1: Well, Bev, thank you so much for your time and, of course, your behavioral insights today. You've worked with hundreds, if not thousands, of advisors over the course of your career. I'm wondering if, over that time, you've seen a shift in the actual understanding by advisors about how to help their clients through these behavioral biases, and what do we all need to continue to focus on to be better at our jobs?
2: I think that there is an increasing awareness, David, around the importance of emotional intelligence relating to people in a different way. Um, I think that research like yours is so helpful to be able to frame for advisors some specific things to think about. I do think, though, that we function in an industry that is very Transactional, logic based products and services, and helping advisors shift this thinking and really understand what each of these personas needs and how to approach them is going to be uh, an ongoing challenge. So I'm heartened that we're putting more focus on it and things are shifting. I think that. There's still quite a lot of work to do, um, and advisors need a lot of support in being able to implement some of what you have um, uncovered here.
1: Well, Bev, at the top of the the show, we talked about the collaborative. Can you… Uh, Tell us a little bit more about that. So we
2: are a uh, over 20 year old uh, training, consulting and coaching firm uh, focused only in the investment industry. So most of our clients are either advisors or those who serve advisors. Uh, But David, to the point you open with, we believe deeply in uh, the behavioral aspect and pulling that through in everything that we do. So we do a lot of training, a lot of coaching, a lot of consulting, but always trying to help advisors and those who serve them understand how do you really get to know people, deepen the relationship, um, and learn you know about them from a different angle. So I have a lot of respect for what you've done here because I think this research will be really helpful to the industry in general.
1: Well, thank you very much, and I know that working with Laura on this has been a very rewarding project, and we will continue to have more insights as we go throughout the summer. So I'm excited and. Like last time and always, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much.
2: My pleasure to be here. Thank you, both Laura and David.
1: If you're an advisor and would like to know more about The Collaborative, just visit www.the-collaborative.com. That's T-H-E-collaborative.com. This will also be available in the show notes. If you like this podcast, you may also like the other FlexShares podcast called Funds in Focus. Check it out today and you'll find it wherever you get your podcasts. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor
0: podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foreside Fund Services, LLC distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.